You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. morning to introduce our speaker. Um, Paul Winningstall will be uh, bringing the word. I knew, uh, first that I knew of Paul, he was the pastor from a place called Markham, and then I learned that that was like in the greater Toronto area, and then, you know, so that, I, you know, like there's this learning curve of being a part of this network where there was a lot of churches in Ontario and trying to figure out where all these places are. And then um, uh, Paul came on as um, our director for Canada for the Great Commission Collective in January of 2019. And uh, uh, I'm so thankful for this brother. Uh, I, I get, getting to know him more and more through the Great Commission Collective, and, and we serve on a board together, and um, I just see how the Lord is using him and his wife on a weekly basis in, in encouraging our church families across Canada. You know, it can be hard. Uh, as a local church, there's things that happen, and it is so comforting to know that there's someone there who, who, who has wisdom, who has been there, who can come alongside you and pray with you and help you. And I've just seen God use uh, Paul and Sue to do that over and over and over again these last four years. And so super thankful for them. Uh, we, uh, we just had a fantastic conference and Paul spoke at that as well. And, and I asked him, hey, would you be willing to preach on Sunday morning as well? And so he, 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 he said yes, which I was very thankful for. And uh, uh, so I'm just going to ask uh, Paul to come up now, and then I'm going to pray for our brother, and then we're going to get into the Word. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your faithfulness, for your goodness. Lord, it is a privilege to open your Word and to study it, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you would be with Paul now as he um, proclaims your Word. God, I know that he is convinced of its authority. He's convinced of its um, power. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray now that you would uh, just fill with this brother with your spirit and lead him and guide him as he proclaims your word. And Lord, give us a ten of hearts. God, we want to hear from you. God, we want to, to whatever ways that we're thinking wrongly, show that to us, Lord. Cause us to repent and continue to make us more and more like you. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Trevor. It's so good to be here. In our text that we're going to look at today, it says, speak evil of no one. And uh, so the fact that I'm from the East, that would be a challenge for you. And uh, just rejoice in being able to be here and open God's Word. So thankful uh, for your church. And you're like, well, everybody gets up, they're going to say, of course you're going to say that. Um, no, no, you have to understand how God is using you. I, I'm thankful as well for uh, Trevor and Heather and what God is doing in their lives. And, but the opportunity that God is giving in their ministry and, and with their kids, with Gabby and Hope and their stories and the transitions that are going on in their lives and how they're modeling some things. But God is using your church in a unique way. Yes, most of the churches in the GCC, Canada, are in the East, but the West is doing a really good job to catch up and surpass. And, uh, and a lot of that is because of the vision of the elders and Trevor here in this church. 
And uh, you, you think about Redemption South, you think about Old, you think about Red Deer, you think about Edmonton, and, and all of those, this church has had a key piece in that development. And so uh, God is using you as a, I don't know what you want to call it, it's not the, a founding church, it's not a, because it's the way God works and he's doing it. But I am just so very thankful for your church and your vision that sees beyond just what's here and, and what God is doing. Uh, Great Commission Collective is all about uh, planting churches, strengthening leaders, and your church is modeling that in so many ways. And along with that, we have uh, the introduction of new churches. Churches. While I'm out here, um, I'll be visiting two churches, um, one in Alberta, one in British Columbia. I can't tell you where they are, who they are, because then I might have to kill you, because that information just isn't public at this point, right? So I'm not going to kill anybody. But, um, but and, and the, the church that I'm going to be meeting with um, next week is, is a church that has had a connection with this church, with Pastor Trevor, and they're considering joining the GCC, and then another one out in British Columbia, and, and God is working. But, but your ministry goes beyond these borders even, and uh, the ministry you've had by allowing your pastor years ago to go to Nepal, but the partnership that you have with a church in Moldova, and like, God is using your church, so don't lose sight of that, and in the in the day-to-day and all that goes on, it's so easy, oh, how's the Lord using us. I'm here to tell you, God is doing a work through your church that you don't understand, that I don't even understand. God is working, and he's doing things we won't see clearly until the other side when we're in glory, and we hear the well done, good and faithful servant, and God is in your church. He's working through it, and I'm just very, very thankful for that. All right, I didn't come to do a sales pitch today. I came to preach the Word of God. So uh, get your Bibles out. Let's open them up to Titus uh, chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, and we're going to dive in there. We're going to read it in just a moment. But my message I've called Thinking Clearly in a Foggy World. Thinking Clearly in a Foggy World. Uh, About three weeks ago, Sue and I were headed to Florida. Sorry for you don't get to do that, but we were headed to Florida for a conference and a little bit of time off, and, and we were going through the Appalachian Mountains. Now, whoever called those things mountains obviously had never been out here, okay? So let's just get that clear because I don't want you halfway going, like, why, why does he think those are mountains? Those aren't mountains. They're barely hills, okay? I didn't name them. That's just what they are. But we were going through the Appalachian Mountains, and as we were going through, there's this warning that we're coming into a fog area. And uh, I'm like, yeah, okay, so what? And, you know, you keep on driving, but as we're going, you start to see lights flashing because we're going into a fog area, and the 65 miles an hour, because you're in the U.S., is now down to 55 miles an hour, is now down to 50 miles an hour. They got these electronic light signs that tell you how fast you can go, and, and the fog is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. At some point, as we're going, the speed limit is now down to 35 miles an hour. It's just killing me, but, but you can't see, so it really, you know, doesn't matter that much. And, and what we found ourselves doing, because it was like driving in, you know, they talk about the soup of fog, you, like you just couldn't see. And, uh, and so I don't know the roads. I haven't been down that road for probably 15 years. Um, but what we did was we got on the tail of a transport truck, and he got his flashers going, and I'm just like, 
far enough away that I can continue to see the flashers, but not, not, not so close that I can't stop if I don't need to. And a couple times as you're going, he's getting a little further away, and you almost lose sight. And he's like, from me to that back wall away, and I can't. As long as I could see the flashers, I could follow him, and we would stay on the road. As we think about the fog of this world, I think we need to ask kind of a question like this. Like, is that light of the truck I could follow? Um, and so in the fog of this world, we're going to talk about it in a second, what are you following? How are you being led through the fog of this world? You know, for us in our context in the car that day, we could stay on the tail of a truck and the flashing lights were there in front of us and as long as we stayed behind it and stayed in the flashing lights, we could maneuver our way through the fog of this world. But the fog of this world that you face every day, the fog of war, the fog of political politics and policies, the fog of the economy, the fog of moral decay, the fog of violence, the fog of political unrest, the, the fog of social norms, the, the fog of violence. How do, how do we think clearly? How do we have a way to make our way through the fog of this world? How do we make sense of it all? And I believe there are some principles in Titus chapter 3 that can help us. So I'd like to stand when we read God's Word. Can I ask you to stand with me? I'm going to read Titus chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 11. Here's what it says. Remind them. Remind them, be submissive to rulers and authorities, to, uh, to be obedient, to be ready for every wor good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice um, and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they're unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word that we hold in our hands, preserved for us, and the principles that Paul was teaching Titus to teach the church are the principles that we need to hear today as we seek to live in a world that is so foggy. And yet, Father, we have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have the answer. And so, Lord, I pray that as we look into your word today, would you encourage our hearts? 
Would you stir us? Would you give us ears to listen, not to what the preacher has to say, but to what your spirit is telling us today? Give us ears to listen, minds to comprehend, but then faith, God, to live these things out for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. You can take your seats. Let's, uh, let's dive right in here. Um, this book, um, Paul is challenging Titus, and uh, the first two chapters that um, are laid out, because we're not going to go through those, but just for a little bit of context, the, the first one, uh, Paul tells Titus to go and put in place in all of the churches elders so that they have a strong ecclesiology. They, they have their structures in place to do the work of ministry. Chapter 1 is mostly about that, and in chapter 2, he tells them to teach sound doctrine. And so it's always important. Paul does this a lot in his letters. And in the book of Ephesians, a great picture of it where, you know, he gives you the doctrine, he gives you the principles, and then you get halfway through the book, and it's like, now this is what you do. And, and that's really what we're going to do today. The first part of the book was about the elders and putting them in place. The next chapter of the book is about um, sound doctrine and what does that look like. And then he comes to this part, and he goes, now remind them. Remind them. And, and that's what I want to do today. As we think clearly in a foggy world, how do we do that? And so uh, the first thing I want us to look at is the qualities of a clear thinker. So Paul gives these things in chapters 1 and 2, and then here he says, remind them. We need to be reminded, right? We all need to be reminded over and over and over again. You'd, you usually don't learn something the first time you hear it. You need to be reminded. And so repetition is good. Saying things in different ways is good. But we need to be reminded. And so Paul challenges a Titus to remind them of some things because they're going to live in a world that's going to be difficult. They're going to live in a world that they can't do it on their own. They're going to live in a world where they're only going to make it if they get their eyes fixed on the right things. And so there are some things he says to remind them about. The first one he says, remind them to be submissive. Remind them to be submissive. Be submissive to the rulers and to the authorities. Um, the rulers inside and outside of the church, the magistrates, the, the government officials, the police. Um, a great challenge over the weekend to be submissive to our government. Um, we're we're going we're to see in the next verse and, and speak evil of no one. So easy for us to run our mouths about the magistrates and the leaders and the government officials and I, I know this for sure. God never told us once to do that. I'll tell you what he did tell us to do. He told us to pray for them. And, and yet it's so easy for us. We get frustrated. I do too. I'm preaching to the choir here like I am the choir. Um, we, we, we can be so easy to not be submissive. Now, when does submissiveness stop? When it goes against God's word, right? But until then, the Bible teaches us we need to be submissive. And you can be submissive, and I think one of the great ways you can do that is through prayer. Um, it's pretty hard to be running your mouth about somebody when you're praying for them. And, and so whether that is a, a government official or, or whether it's somebody in the church and, and you need to submit to them. And, and so Paul is saying to Titus, remind these people, remind these people to be submissive. In Ephesians chapter 5, before you get to the part about wives submitting to your husbands and husbands loving your wives like Christ loved the church, which is 
the most awesome and greatest form of submission. It says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right? So there's a mutual submission that all over our faith and all over our walk with God. And, and so Paul starts here and he says to Titus, remind them, just remind them to be submissive. Because at the core, we want what we want. We want it when we want it. And submission often isn't high on our list of priorities, so he starts there. The second thing he says to them is uh, be obedient. Be, uh, be active in your obedience. Be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Um, again, we have that to authorities and those in the church, but if, if we're supposed to come under something, we're we need to be reminded to be obedient. I want to get further onto the text, so I'm not going to stay there. But the next thing he's touched them to do is to be ready. Um, to be ready. Be ready for what? For every good work. The follower of Jesus Christ, and that's who he's writing to, so this works, we'll come back to it in a little bit, is not about salvation, but our lives, because of the abundance of what God has done, should be filled, filled with good works. And so here he says, remind them, remind them to be ready for every good work. And so those three things, if you see it, do it. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 1 Peter 2.12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, around the world, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and what? And glorify God. Not glorify you. They will see your good deeds and go, man, that guy's truck has a different wheelbase than mine, and they will see that this is God who's doing this. Notice how I try to put a Western thing in there. Like, <laughs> there's not a guy in our church in Markham that even owns a truck, okay? So... Um, they will see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Remind them. And so maybe this uh, message today is just a good reminder for you for some uh, basic principles that can help you. So we start out with what are the qualities of a person who can think clearly in our world? They're a follower of Jesus Christ who's submissive, who's obedient, and who is ready so now let's dive into the rest of the text and just see what Paul teaches us. Uh, in clear thinking, we start out by looking at what you were. Take a look at what you were. He reminds them, he says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Because that's what we were like. He reminds Titus, that's what you were like. He reminds him that's what he was like. We know the story of Paul. We know how he was a hater. We know how he was a hater of the Christians. And he, he just gives this picture of the mess that his life was and the mess that our life is like outside of Jesus Christ. Um, in James 4, 1, it says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is not, is it is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The passions, those things that are of the world, the things that make us foolish and disobedient and led astray, that make us slaves to various passions, that make us pass our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. 
Remember, you were once like that. That's what drove your heart. That's what drove your desire. You were disobedient. You were deceived. But they're not the characteristics that are ours anymore. And what do those characteristics look like? Well, I, when I think about what God has saved me from, then it draws me to some different kind of thinking, that I'd be a person who's first filled with gratitude. Gratitude how God reached down into a wretch who had no hope, who was dead in his trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, and made me alive in Jesus Christ. And it should fill us with gratitude. The work of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what we should be living out of every day, filled with gratitude for what God has done in, in the way he's changed us. Secondly, in humility, as we see that it is his a work that changed me. I, I, didn't, I didn't find God. I, I love it when you talk with people and, and they say, you know, I was on a journey and I, and I found God. And, and I was like, yeah, no, not really. Like, that's how it looks to you. Um, but, but the Bible says it differently. The Bible says you were dead. You were dead. Dead people aren't looking for anything. Dead people aren't focused on anything. Dead people are just dead people, right? And God does a work, and he starts that work. And so by the end of it, it's like, yeah, and I was on this journey now to find God. Well, yeah, because God opened the door, and God did this work in your life. We should be filled with humility because how awesome the work of God is, how undeserving all of that is for us. We ought to be people of God who are filled with humility and that should drive us to be filled with kindness to one another because of the work that God has done. Kindness to people in the world who have those things, the foolish and disobedient and, and led astray. Um, don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. The non-Christians can't live like Christians. They're not. Um, I grew up in a church that it was kind of like before you come to Christ, this is kind of give you an idea of how old I am, but before you come to Christ, like, it might be good if you stop smoking, stop drinking, and get your hair cut, right? Because, like, that's what worldly people did. And it's like, that is so evil teaching, so wrong. It's called works. It's called you do some things to make yourself acceptable to God. No, no, you come to Jesus Christ as you are. Do things need to change that are those things that are foolish and disobedient? Of course they will, but they'll change when you are in Christ, when the power of God's Spirit is in you. And so we need to love and care for people and be kind to them and then have faith. Have faith in the God who changed you uh, can change those who are around you. Uh, maybe, maybe what you needed to hear in this message today is, is um, you have a son or a daughter or a family member who isn't walking with Christ. And, and if you could do anything, you would change them, but you can't. You can't. The, the Spirit of God has to do that. And so you need to be a person of faith. I always say, as long as they have breath, as long as they have a heartbeat, there's still hope for them, and you don't ever give up. You don't have faith. The God who took you from being a wretch separated from Christ and brought you to salvation, that same God is at work and he will work in them and he can and he will and he does. But in my heart, he's doing this work that is called sanctification. He's growing me up in Jesus Christ. 
making me more like Christ a little bit more every day, a little bit less like the things in that list, a desire to be like God for his glory. You were a mess, but God. And he made you alive in Christ Jesus. In the fog of this world, in the fog of this world, remember what you were before you came to Christ. And be careful how you think about others who aren't in Christ. They, they can't think like you think. They just don't know. And don't try to change the outward appearance before God changes the heart. So the first thing is that um, clear thinking causes you to remember what you were. Here's the next thing. Uh, clear thinking is what you are. Thinking about what you are. Look at verses 4 to 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's awesome news, right? That's awesome news, what God has done. And, and I love how he starts out in that part of the text in, in verse 4. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. When you think about what you are, what you are starts with who God is. And so it's important for us to take a look and remember, he talks about two things, we're going to come to those in a second, but two things about what the character of God looks like, and, and we should think about God and how awesome he is. You should think about God in his creation. Hey, you got the crazy Easterners who came out for the conference the other day, and uh, Robbie Simons and I were standing at the door of the church that we were at, looking out and seeing the mountains, and it's just like, oh, God is so awesome. Um, when we were out for our pastors and wives retreat last year and we were in Canmore and I opened the drapes to my room and there's the three sisters. Those are mountains if you didn't know that. There's the three sisters, not Catholic nuns. There's the three sisters there. And, and, and just looking at them and going, this is awesome. This is God's creation, right? See God in his creation. See God in his attributes realizing that he is holy and I am not. But I become holy because of the finished work of Christ. And as Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, crying out to God, God is holy. God sees everything. He is everywhere. This text talks about he's filled with mercy and truth. But in the text specifically, there are two attributes that Paul wanted Titus to see and he wants us to see. So look back at verse 7. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. God is good. God is good. He's always good. Three times good works are mentioned in the text. It comes from the heart of God. And, and these two things that he lays out for uh, Titus are things that we can emulate. They're things that we can do. We can't do all the attributes of God. I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omnipresent. I'm not omniscient. That's all knowing. I can't even remember to what my wife asked me to go to the store to pick up. Like, I, I, don't, I don't have those things. But, but I can, in God's, God's grace, I can do things that are good. I'm not good. 
Only God is good, but I can emulate God's goodness. And, and he says to, to, um, to Titus, he says, look at this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. When you think about what you are, you need to think about what you are in light of who God is and his character and that he would reach out and touch our lives, draw us to himself when we deserved absolutely nothing. And in the next verse, it talks about if the first part's about God's character, this part then is about God's work. It says that he saved us. I loved it. That kind of clears up that whole discussion about who saved who and how did you get to Christ. It says he, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy, the Holy Spirit. You could take a whole systematic theology course out of that verse, which we can't and don't have the time to do today, but you just think about your salvation. Um, he saved us. Now, people don't like that concept in the world today. People don't want to be saved. They want to go on in their misery, go on in their hopelessness, go on in, in their path. They don't want to be saved, but the Bible says, and he makes it clear, that God, he saved us, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. It's not by our righteousness. It's not by what we bring to the table. In Isaiah 64, 6 and 7, it says, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your, your name, who, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt into the hands of our iniquity. There is none who is righteous but God. And but God in his mercy, God in his mercy washed us in the regeneration, God's calling and regeneration and faith, and, and then this baptism that we have in, in Christ. Not, um, you know, baptism is a picture of our obedience, the picture of what Christ has done for us, and, and we come and we get in the tank because I, I want to identify with Christ. I want to be obedient, but I want to identify with the work of Christ, that as Christ died and was buried and rose again in Jesus Christ, that work of the gospel put on me, I identify with my death and burial and resurrection to new life in Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in us. God, God by his mercy, did all of that. Um, mercy is not, is, is, is not getting what you deserve, right? In its simplest form, that's what mercy is. I don't get what I deserve. And grace is, I get what I don't deserve, but God. But God, in his mercy, when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, he made me alive in Jesus Christ. The gospel the gospel is an awesome story. And if you're here today and you hear this guy up here making all this noise about the work of Jesus Christ and what God has accomplished for us, you, you can get me, well, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than me? No, not one speck. 
As a matter of fact, the only difference between me and maybe you in this room is not anything I did. It's everything that Jesus Christ did. So as you hear the gospel, don't, don't look at the room that these people are pious. They think they're better than I am. No, as a matter of fact, we probably think we're worse than you are, but, but for the grace of God. But people who understand that God's word teaches there's nobody who's righteous. No one can meet the standard that God requires. There's none righteous, not even one, the Bible said. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of our sin, it separates us from a God who is holy and just and requires a, a, a sacrifice to pay a price so that we can be made right with God. A payment can be made that satisfies the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death, separation from God for eternity, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And so God offers you a gift, a gift that you don't earn, and a gift that you don't deserve, but it's a gift. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've heard that story over and over and over again, and this is the day when the Holy Spirit of God touches you and you bow the knee and you trust Jesus Christ because he is the only hope for our foggy, our foggy world the text in verse 6 says, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And uh, this picture of, of being justified is just another picture of, of what God is doing for us and who we are in what has been accomplished by God for us. We have been justified. How awesome is it, believer? Because you know how you lived last week. You know when you kicked the dog. You know when you said that thing to your kid. You know when you made the comment to your coworker. You know just how prone to wander you are that you are justified. See, you can't, you, you can't do that. But that's what God does. God makes us just as if we'd never sinned. We have sinned, but God's the one who wipes the slate clean and continues to wipe the slate clean. It's God who justifies us. And when I stand before the Lord, before God one day, and he says to me, why should I let you into my heaven? The great answer is because of him, because of what Christ has done. I've been made just as if I never sinned. Is that a license to sin? No, God forbid, Romans 6 says. God forbid. Out of, out of the justification of our salvation, it should cause us to want to live for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not to get salvation, but because we have salvation, and then we live that out in the abundance of all that God has done. God in his righteousness has imputed righteousness on us, and that's God putting his righteousness on me. Well, one other little thought in this area in, in verse seven is about our hope. Um, we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When you trusted Christ, 
he made you an heir, a son, a daughter. The hope of eternal life is ours. God doesn't walk away from that. He doesn't give up on us. He never says, that's it, I'm done with you. He, he loves us unconditionally, and, and we, as imperfectly as we do it, we live out for his glory. Because, see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a, I trusted Jesus, I got my ticket to heaven now. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes us. It changes, it changes our focus. It changes our desires. I now want to be like Christ. I now want to serve the Lord. I want to do what is right. I want to bring glory to God. I want to serve well. It gives us hope and hope of eternal life. Well, one more, one more thing. Clear thinking leads to what we do. It leads to, to what we do. Uh, look at verses um, 8 to 11. The saying is trustworthy, and I want, I want you to insist on these things. Okay, so you notice the word insist, so it's not like, you know, if you feel like, if you ever decide to get around to it, Titus, no, 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 I ins it's ins you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And so we have this challenge now in clear thinking in what we do. And the first thing is that we would be people who are devoted to, to good works. It's not an option. He says, I insist on it, that believers would be devoted themselves, be sold out to. Uh, Robbie Simons at the conference or the pre-conference talked about mediocrity in the church. And we want just enough of Jesus to kind of get us along the way when when Christ transforms you, mediocrity is not the goal. Christ-likeness is the goal. Living out good works for the glory of God becomes the passion of the believer. Being on our faces before God in prayer becomes the thing we desire because we want to be in communion with the Father. Opening God's Word and reading it faithfully. Seeking God and listening to His Spirit in what He's leading us to. And then in that context, and doing good works, not works to save you. We never, we, we, we never accomplish anything in our salvation by our works. That's all accomplished by what Jesus Christ has done. But as a result of God's awesome work and his good work in us, it ought to motivate us and give us a passion to good works. And so how is God doing that in your life? Are you like... I wasn't a great student in school. I always tried to do just enough to get by. If you're a high school student in the room, it's not the good plan, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, you, you got by, but that, that's not the goal. The goal of the follower of Jesus Christ is to be more like Christ every day. The, the goal of the follower of Jesus Christ is to live out your faith. The goal of the, the desire of the follower of Jesus Christ is, is, God, how will you use me for your glory? Not, how can I just do the bare minimum to get by? Um, we're to be devoted to good works. We should be looking for them. We should be doing them. These things are excellent and they are profitable. In, in verse 9, he kind of gives us a, a flip side now of all of this. So we, we get through all of that and, and we hear those things and this is what God wants for us. And, and then 
Titus kind of ends the book. The last few verses are just like his closing, right? He kind of ends the book with a little bit of a weird thing. Um, not that it didn't need to be said, and I don't think he hadn't thought it through, but you come to verse 9 and he says, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrel about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. For a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, um, and he is self-condemned. Here's what I want to say about this. There's so many other things you could say, but when you're living in the fog with your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, there's always going to be stuff that comes up. It's always going to be there. And it comes from sometimes the most unique and weird places, and, and, and we just need to be ready for it. Don't think you, you listen to a message and go, oh, I've got to do that, and I do this, and I do this, and then everything will be just fine. I, I love how uh, how Paul saves this little piece kind of till the end, but, but avoid. There's some things to avoid in our lives. And this is a great challenge for us in the church. He says, avoid foolish controversies. Stop talking about stupid stuff, stuff that really doesn't matter. You know, it, and so often it's just a preference. It's not even beyond the level of a preference. And just stop, just, just stop it. Avoid it. Avoid wasting your time. Sue and I served in a church at one point, and there was just a lot of that going on. We were young, and, and it was just a real struggle for us because just like everywhere you turned around, there was like this thing over here and this thing over here and this thing over here, and, and you're sitting there going, I want to serve the Lord. I feel like I'm wasting the best years of my time in a church that all they can do is get wrapped up about the craziest things. Stop it. We have a message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's get focused and keep the main things the main things. Are there things that are important that we're going to stand on and we're not going to compromise on? Of course there are. Those aren't foolish controversies. But he reminds them, avoid foolish controversies, genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. Why? Because it's unprofitable. It doesn't accomplish anything. And it's worthless. And for the people who are in your life who are like that, as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, just don't have anything to do with him anymore. Maybe there's some people like that in your life. And you're allowing them to have a volume in your life that they don't deserve, they shouldn't have, and all they do is get you all wound up all the time, and they're always talking about their little pet peeve thing, and it's just like, tell them once, we're not going to talk about this anymore. And tell them twice, we're not going to talk about this anymore. And then stop talking about it anymore. Do they love Christ? Yeah, they probably love Christ. It doesn't say these people aren't saved. But they're focused on some things that aren't right. And sometimes you have to make a decision to... I'm going to put my energy into the things that are going to bring glory to God, and I'm not going to let the things that are divisive and get in the way get my focus off what God's called me to. Warn them once, warn them twice, and then don't have anything to do with them um, anymore. Um, sometimes what they're doing is just motivated in sin, and, and that needs to be called out. Maybe they're blind and they can't see it, right? Blind people, the reason they're blind to something is because you can't see it. 
That's why you need to tell them and warn them. And it doesn't mean you don't love them. It doesn't mean you don't care for them. It doesn't, but you just, you can't get your time just sucked up into all of this. I just love how in the middle of all the foggy world stuff that Paul kind of finishes with this. And he says, don't lose the main things. Keep them the main things. Because that's how you are going to make it through in our foggy foggy world. Well, church, so what? Well, thanks, Pastor, for taking us through those verses. Like, so what? I love to ask myself that question. Um, what do you find yourself caught up in, in this foggy world? And you're, you're spending way too much time in the fog and not near enough time in the light. You're spending too much time driving when you can't see, when you need to get the truck in front of you with the flashers going and follow what is right and what is true and what is and the things that we've talked about, who God is and what he has done and what he's accomplished and what he's called you to. And I'm going to be focused on those things so that the Lord Jesus Christ gets the glory in my life so that the God is lifted up in our family, that the fame of my Savior becomes what we're about, that our church can be used to be, be planting churches and strengthening other people, and, and, and the church can be used as a lighthouse that's shining where people are coming and saying, why are you people like that? Why, because we have our eyes fixed on our Savior, Jesus Christ. God helping us. God helping us. Let's live for his glory in this foggy world. You know, just as we were kind of following the truck, this illustration, it breaks down at some point. I get it. But in that, in that fog, we have our flashers on too, right? And somebody else is following you. And, and they're looking at your example, and they're seeking to be like Christ, and they're wanting brothers and sisters around who can help and guide for the glory of our Savior. God, help us, help us to be faithful in all we do in these things, we pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for this short letter uh, that Paul wrote to Titus. There were things in the ecclesiology of the church Paul wanted to make sure was right. There were things in sound doctrine that Paul wanted to make sure were right. But then, Lord, there were these things when he just, he just says, just remind them, remind them. And so, Lord, you've reminded us of some things today. And, and whether it's the focus on being submissive and being ready or, or whether it's on remembering who you are and what you've done for us in our salvation or whether it's a call to serving in good works for your glory or, or, may, or whether it's the call to stop being foolish and getting caught up in so many crazy things, Lord, remind us. Remind us how awesome you are, how your work is complete, and our hope is not found in what we accomplish. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.